Welcome to the Italian Financial Advisor podcast, exploring all aspects of your financial life in Italy. I'm Andrew Lawford with the Spectrum IFA Group. On many occasions, I come into contact with people who are planning to move to Italy and who have yet to work through all the details. Frequently, I discuss taxation and how it is opportune to invest once you have become an Italian tax resident. However, there are other important matters that need to be dealt with, such as upon what basis are you going to be allowed to live in Italy in the first place. It's pointless worrying about being considered a tax resident if you're not allowed to be physically present in the country in the first place. This is the situation now facing anyone attempting to move to Italy from the UK, for example. It's not impossible, but it certainly isn't as easy as it was when the UK was part of the EU. Also, there are various other long-term administrative considerations that you need to be aware of. In particular, how Italian residency would influence your estate planning. Many people, or rather their heirs, have had an unpleasant surprise when they have discovered what Italian law has to say about the distribution of their assets after death. What with everything else that goes with moving to Italy, it is easy to ignore estate planning from an Italian perspective and just assume that whatever you have set up in your home country will be sufficient. As we are about to hear, however, nothing could be further from the truth. I have called upon Jessica Zama, an associate with Buckle Solicitors, to help out with today's discussion. If you have listened to some of the other episodes of this podcast, we also encountered Jessica in Can I Trust My Trust?, and buying a property in Italy, which you can find in the podcast feed. Her details are available in the show notes. Let's start by discussing the basis upon which someone can come and live in Italy. We are going to be considering this from the point of view of a non-EU citizen, because if you do have EU citizenship, the path is much easier. The easiest way, by far, is if you happen to be eligible for Italian citizenship. And I was talking about citizenships, and there are three ways. One is descent. It appears that in the past few years, every single person in England has found a bisnonno of some kind from Italy, and everyone seems to be Italian. So you can, if you have a relative, an ancestor who was born in Italy, then you can apply for citizenship on that basis. And you don't need to know Italian for descent. You don't need to live in Italy. And the process is completely different to the options of applying via marriage. So if you've been, so if you're married to an Italian, uh, you do have to know the Italian language. And if you've been resident in Italy, you will have to have been there for 10 years. Again, you have to know the Italian language. And those two, residency and um, marriage, you have to apply via the Ministero dell'Interno's portal. They now have three years. Two, sorry, two. They've gone back down to two. It used to be two. Then Salvini in 2018 extended that decision to four years. And now it's gone back to two that they can increase to three years. So it's still a very long time that they give them to come to a decision. Okay, so the, so either descent or basically by some connection, like by marriage to an Italian citizen or residence for a long time. So yeah. if you were a foreign couple that have been <coughs> resident in Italy for a long time, what would be the advantage, do you think, of taking citizenship? 
Well, uh, freedom of movement in Europe. You want an EU passport because you you want to be able to move around Europe freely. You know, if you want to move to Germany, for example, you can do that. So that is a massive advantage. Okay, so the fact that you're protected in your status as have, of being being resident in Italy, if you don't have citizenship, that doesn't allow you to go and live in another EU state. So I can't go and move to France, for example. I would have to start again and and satisfy whatever requirements France had put there in order for somebody like me to go and and be a resident, which would be potentially completely different from what I'd done in order to become resident in Italy, yeah? Exactly. If you are applying for citizenship by descent... The path is relatively simple, but in 2018, language skills became a requirement for citizenship by marriage or long-term residency, as well as to gain a permesso di lungo soggiorno, a long-stay permit. After five years, you can apply for a permesso di lungo soggiorno, so it allows you to stay in Italy indefinitely. Uh, but for, and for that, you will need pretty much the same documents, but you also have to prove that you've learned Italian at an A2 level. Actually, one of my clients is undertaking that now. That's not just conversational Italian like B1 level that you need for the citizenship for marriage and residency. It's at a very high level, but at the moment, it's just a conversation. So if you have lived in Italy for five years, chances are, hopefully, you will know Italian at that level. Well, if you, you've got five years of time to get down to your local bar and start talking to people that wander yeah. past there, and that will that will insert you into the local community to some extent. This the whole thing about language requirements is relatively new, isn't it? Because yes. I can't remember any of this when I was going through this process. No, so it's thanks to Salvini. So this is 2018, and this is all of a sudden. So I was preparing a few citizenship applications. In October, law came out that Salvini stated that anybody applying for citizenship for marriage via marriage or residency had to know the Italian language at a B1 level. So all of a sudden we were scrambling to get people to uh, undertake the exam uh, because you need to attach the certificate. And you can't just take it at any old school. It has to be schools that have been approved by the Italian government. I mean, I understand it to a certain extent. I mean, I'm no expert in British citizenship, but I know I appreciate that getting a British Italian citizenship is not that difficult. And I think they wanted it to be a little bit more difficult. And I understand that if you want to be Italian, then you should really know the language, especially if you've been resident there for four years, um, 10 now for an English. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it needs to, it does need to be put in the context of the, the worldwide situation. And I think most developed countries now, when you are applying for citizenship through marriage or something like that, they are generally a lot stricter. So, assuming you can't unearth an Italian ancestor and you aren't planning on marrying an Italian, you will have to apply for a visa. The main kind of visa that will be applicable to those who wish to come and live in Italy but are not looking at working here will be an elective residency visa. Uh, for this visa, you can't be working in Italy. You have to show that you have ampie risorse economiche, meaning you have enough funds uh, coming into your account or in assets. And these have to be a minimum of 31,000 euros a year. You also have to prove that you have somewhere to live. 
Uh, the other one is a work visa, which is quite self-explanatory, and that can either be self-employed or employed by a company, and you will need that company's assistance or, or the person you're working for's assistance in moving and obtaining that visa in order for you to be able to move to Italy. So once you have one of these visas, and I'll go back to the elective visa, you have to show the ampere source economic, so how much you, you are earning a year, that you have somewhere to live. You have to show private health insurance. And you submit these to the consulate where you're from. So again, let's say you live in England, you would have to get an appointment with a consulate for a visa application, submit all the documents, give your passport in, and then they will give you a visa. Once you have this visa, you can go to Italy. Uh, you have eight days from when you land in Italy to apply for a permit of residence on the basis of this visa. So a permesso di soggiorno. There's a very special uh, kit they call it, that you have to fill in with ex copies of exactly the same documents. You have to fill in a form requesting this permit. And again, just because you have the visa doesn't mean that the questura, so the police will actually grant you this permit. Nothing is granted, nothing is given. I mean, they will do all the relevant checks, such as criminal checks on you. So, But it is, uh, it is very likely that once you have the visa, they will let you live in the country. You have to post this uh, special kit and all the copies of the documents off. And once that's sent off, they give you an appointment. And at that point, they will give you a permit. And that permit will last either one or two years, depending on how much, you, how long you've asked for and how long they're willing to give you. Um, but you do have to renew it every one or two years. So for the duration of that. And, and at and, what point do I go down to the local comune and declare that I'm resident? Immediately. So um, as soon as you've got the confirmation that you've sent that kit off, then uh, that acts as a proof of permit, even though you haven't had that permit yet, because there's so much bureaucracy at the moment, they have a bit of a backlog. For example, one of my clients, we're in her fifth year of asking for the permit. Five years ago, they gave her an appointment. I think it was the next month. And this year, we applied in August and she didn't get an appointment until March. So obviously you have a gap where you don't have a permit, but that uh, confirmation of an appointment, it, it acts as a permit um, in the interim. Yeah, it's funny that that's still going on because I, that bring, takes me back to when I first became resident in, in Italy and, and that's going back quite almost 20 years now. And I had a similar situation in that I'd been to the Questura and they hadn't granted me the permesso di soggiorno yet and mm. so then I then I went to the anagrafe at the local comune and they said well we can't give you residency until you have the permesso di soggiorno and you've got 30 days to give us the permesso di soggiorno but the waiting time for the permesso di soggiorno was something like 90 days and so I was in this interesting little situation anyway they, they were perfectly understanding and that, that they knew it wasn't my fault but still it's interesting that the law obliges you to do something which you can't technically do it's not unusual in italy they ask for the impossible and um yeah it, it is you have to have a valid permesso di soggiorno at the same time by law when you're in italy you have to register as a resident like you just said so you know it's not your fault that you don't have one so you you know as well as i do that some comuni and some not only just some comuni some people you talk to will be very strict about it and say no no, I need the actual permit. 
uh, whereas other will be more understanding. So you go and you register as a resident, and and then once you once you have that, every year you do have to, or every two years you apply again and for a renewal. And they should give you. It's pretty straightforward. You just give exactly the same documents as you did the previous years. There are also study visas, which I assume will be of less interest to my listeners. And finally, visas for what is called ricongiungimento familiare, or family reunification. The family, as anyone familiar with Italy will know well, is of fundamental importance, and this makes for an easy path for gaining residency. Ricongiungimento familiare, which is if your husband or wife, spouse, civil partner lives in Italy and has a work visa, for example, then you can have a visa to go and join them in Italy. So you have your family joining you as well. Can, and can you talk a bit more about that? Because I often get situations where I'll have maybe a married couple where one of them is an EU citizen and mm. and the other isn't. So You've got uh, one half of the couple who is, say, French and the other half who might be from the States. So yeah. the, 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 the French one can come and declare residency here and then the spouse can come in under this ricongiungimento familiare. Is that right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So the, the procedure is exactly the same. And this is more guaranteed than the other ones. I do want to point out that it is at the discretion of the government whether they give you the visa to come in or not. There are a certain amount of visas a year that they do give out. But ricongiungimento familiare, unless you've got criminal a criminal record or unless there's a specific reason for them not to allow you to come into the country, it, it's quite certain that they will let you join your relatives in Italy, your EU relatives in Italy. And whereas for the other one, so for elective visa and the work visa and study visa, there are quotas for each one, are there? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you know what they are? I mean, are they often I exhausted? They, uh, I think the work visas are, yeah. The elective visas, not so much because I think, and I think there's a reason for that. Uh, there's an interest in the government having rich people come to their other country, obviously, and spending money and, um, and just being there generally. So... I've never had a case where it was rejected uh, with an elective visa. I think those are the kind that are usually given out more frequently, but just because there aren't as many requests for an elective visa. Okay. And the €31,000 per annum that you were talking about, if you're talking about a couple, would that be 31000 multiplied by two or is there a couple's allowance no. as well? So forgive me. So it's thirty-one thousand per person, and you, if you if some if you've got dependents, you have to show a little bit more. So it'll be a little bit more if you have a spouse, and even more if you have children. For example, I know it, like for citizenship applications, if you are applying for citizenship, Italian citizenship, you have to prove you, you earn eight thousand euros a year, which is not very much at all. If you have a spouse that's dependent on you, that's 11,000 a year. And it's, uh, I think, 13,000 if you have one child as well dependent on you. So it doesn't go up that much, but it goes up a little bit. That's interesting that they require, and so an income requirement for a, to apply for citizenship, that's even for people who are, who are applying for citizenship by descent, or is that people who... No, have... no, that's uh, residency. So just to be clear on this point, if you're applying for citizenship by descent, there is no income requirement, but by any other route, you do need to show a minimum level of financial support.
Next, we started to discuss the important, yet often overlooked, topic of estate planning. Jessica started off with a story that should focus attention on some of the pitfalls. Someone contacted me to say I bought uh, an English citizen. She had bought a property in Italy with her partner. They were not married. They bought it. Um, she mistakenly thought that they bought it in joint tenancy, which doesn't really exist in Italy. And so she thought when he dies, his share will come to me in the house. So I had to break the news, having looked at the deeds, that no, actually, because he didn't leave a will, that his share of his Italian estate would pass to his three children. If you're not married to each other in Italy, or if you don't have a civil civil partnership or union, you do not have any rights any legal rights in the other person's estate. So you're saying in that particular situation, this individual found themselves as being 50% owner of a property and the other 50% after yeah. their partner died was in the names of three His of three children. Yeah. former partner's children. And yeah. so that's a, that's a potentially explosive situation if ever there it was, was one. It was they did not get on either. They hated each other. So it was one of those cases that dragged on and on because there was so much resentment between them. It is something that is very important for anybody who has assets in Italy. They have to be aware of Italian inheritance laws. And if you're not married to your partner and you want to leave something, your, your house to your partner, it is vital that you not only write a will to make sure your partner inherits, but you have to write a will to make sure that your forced heirs, so for example, your children, who your partner doesn't get on with, don't have a claim to have a percentage of this of these assets. Because as well, you know... Because even if you... I mean, in that situation that you just talked to me about, the, the unmarried mm -hmm. couple, if they had been married... And let's say that the, well, I mean, it doesn't matter if the three children were from a former relationship or not, but when one of them dies, if they were intestate, then you would have the situation where a portion of the estate would go to the wife. So she would end up being majority owner yeah. of the home, if you like, and she would have the yeah. rights to remain there, if, if I'm not yes, mistaken. Exactly. But then, you, but she would also have a, a portion of the home that would end, would it be two thirds of the one half share that would end up? being split between the the children is that is that right because there are three children it's one third to her and two thirds to them because it's yeah. two so so, so, so in that intestacy example even in a married couple you would still have this issue so if that was a very simple situation so essentially you have a couple let's say they have no other assets apart from their property in Italy and let's say they live off pensions which are essentially annuities and so they will stop when they die when one of them dies, their intention was to make sure that the that the other spouse inherited 100% of the property. What would you do? Is that even possible? It is possible. There's an EU regulation whereby you are you can choose the law of your nationality to apply to your succession. So as it currently stands, and this is after 2015, the law that is applied to your inheritance is the law where you are resident. So let's say this British couple who wishes to live, leave everything to each other and not to their children, they're British citizens who live in Italy. So at fir in first instance, the Italian, Italian law would apply. So if they were to even write a will, but not choose English law, then the children would have a claim to the estate, a smaller 
claim than if there was no will, but they would have a claim if they were left out. So it is very important that they include a choice of law clause in their will so that English law is to apply to their succession. Uh, Italy recognises this EU regulation and will have to recognise this choice of law. Therefore, the children would also have to recognise this choice of law. And as you know, England has more testamentary freedom. In England, more or less, you can leave it to whoever you want and you can disinherit your children, for example. You can disinherit your spouse. But in Italy, you can't. So by choosing the law of a country where you have more freedom, that gets around that problem. So that's why it is vital if you have property in Italy to really consider who you want to leave it to, what your wishes are and what the laws of Italy say in terms of succession. Is that available to people who have double citizenship as well? It's not black and white, and it's something I've been researching. So the Italian private law, international private law, states that uh, you are not allowed to to use EU regulations if it's going to hurt the legittimari, so if it takes away from your legitimate heirs, forced heirship, right? This law states that this is the case for in the case of an Italian citizen where the heirs are resident in Italy. It doesn't mention if you are a dual citizen and your heirs live in England, for example. In my opinion, it is not clear-cut. Others I have heard say, no, 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 it is clear-cut. Anyone who's Italian can't disinherit any of their heirs. I don't really agree. Even in Italian law, I will point out, you can write whatever you want. You can you can leave it to whoever you want. It's up to the heirs who have been disinherited to make a claim against you. So I would never say to you, no, even in Italian, pure Italian with kids in Italy, if they said, I want to write this will, I would say, go ahead and write it if you want. But these are the risks. The risks are that your heirs will go through hell of um, years in causa. So I would not recommend it. But in the case of dual citizenship, it very much depends on where the, where the heirs are living and uh, the dual citizenship. So I'm thinking more in terms of, so I'm half Italian, half English. If I were to write a will excluding my heirs, but, you know, my child is in England, so I think it would be less of a question of Italian law applying. But all the more reason to put the choice of law clause in. Of course, nothing is constant but change, and subsequent to the recording of this interview, there was a sentence in the Italian courts that related to choice of law clauses. Jessica followed up with an email in which she commented as follows. It seems clear that if an individual chooses English law to apply to their succession, English law bounces back to the laws of the country where the property is situated, so that would be Italy. This case confirms that this will be accepted. Accordingly, I will be advising that, whilst a choice of law clause is still advisable for British citizens and will be recognised for all movable assets, If one of the forced heirs brings a claim for a portion of the estate against the immovable assets, that claim will most likely succeed. I'm not happy about this decision, as it goes against the spirit of the EU regulations, as it appears that two laws will be applicable to someone's succession. I'm sure there will be a lot of EU cases about this. In the meantime, I will be writing an article with this update and sending it to all clients for whom I have written wills and asking whether they wish to review their wills in view of this update. This situation, if indeed there was a need, demonstrates the value of having engaged the services of a trusted professional. Our lives change, laws change, and the interpretation of those laws will also change. 
Having someone keep you abreast of developments is fundamentally important in order to avoid unpleasant surprises. And of course, even without getting to the extreme situation where people are trying to disinherit their, their heirs, I mean, I know that does happen, but let's just assume that you have a very happy family situation and you've got a property where you live with your spouse and you've got children that you're and you're happy for them to have a share of your estate. There are ways of dealing with this that don't mean that the house ends up being in the names of four different people who might not end up agreeing on on exactly what to do with it. So, for example, if your overall state is is worth a million and the property was worth 300,000 or something, there's nothing to stop you through a will leaving your entire share of the house to your spouse and then other parts of your estate to your children in order to satisfy their, their requirements, yeah? Exactly. So as long as everyone is getting their share, and this is not a question of the assets, it's the value that you've been given. And I'm not just talking about the assets that he held on death. You have to be very careful of the donations that you've made throughout your life. So you could say, my father gave my sister 500,000 in a donation or he gifted her a house. So that has to be taken into consideration when it comes to how much was given in, in after death as well. Okay, yeah. And also in terms of the payment of inheritance taxes, the it, it will take into account or it should take into account the amounts that have been donated. Although I read that there are some exceptions to that rule, but generally speaking, donations and inheritance taxes sort of travel along the same yeah, track, yeah, just, don't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. Donations are donations are fascinating, but when, if we talk about like how much everyone's getting, it's not the specific item. So you can't say, oh, so-and-so got a house, I only got some money. Like it's the value of the property. So if you do go to court um, because you don't think that you've had as much your fair share or what you've been entitled to, then um, there's gonna there's an inventory has to be has to be made by a notary and it has to specify the value of everything and everything has to be divided in accordance to the quotas that you are entitled to by law. And that's obviously, yeah, once you get to that point that your ears start arguing about it, then uh, you start getting into the, the realms of court cases and you have a lot of professional uh, people that have to get involved. They all need to be paid. And yeah. I think it's the, the lesson is that you'll save everybody time and obviously heartache and also quite a lot of money by making a proper plan before yeah. you get to, you know, before you get to that stage. Well, an alternative to if you if you can't disinherit children you hate, you could just do give leave them a huge mess to deal with. If that's how, if you don't like them. Well, that that's much. another way of looking at, it, I suppose. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I have dealt with situations where I thought well, you you really didn't like your your beneficiaries, did you? Estate planning in Italy is an incredible. You might not think it is because you think oh everything is going to be left to them anyway but if you have a will in England and you don't you you have to check that it doesn't cover your assets in Italy because if it does and it's complicated then it's then it's just you know sometimes it's better not to have a will you know and that's also part of estate planning and it's incredibly important to consider what you want in the future if you're going to go back if not and if you want to avoid all the taxes in England then yeah you have to you have to look into everything really carefully. Now let's come to a UK-specific issue that we discussed, that of domicile. 
This is a difficult concept and is also at odds with the concept of domicilio under Italian law, which typically follows residency. You can be resident in Italy and in Italy uh, domiciliato in Italy, which is a different concept from being domiciled in England. So you can be resident in Italy and domiciled in England which means that upon death, your beneficiaries will be taxed in both countries for all your worldwide estate. Let's just take a round number, which is big enough that it would actually be taxed in both countries. If, say if my estate was as large as, say, 5 million euros, and I had one heir who was my son, when I die under, under the Italian rules, that's fairly clear in that you've got a 1 million euro exemption, and then everything over that would be taxed at 4%. Now, if my heir also happened to be resident in the UK and I was deemed to be UK domiciled, you're saying that of that money that my heir received net of the Italian tax, there would also be UK inheritance tax payable? Your heir's residence has nothing to do with the, the taxes. So it's all, it's all to do with where the deceased was resident or domiciled. Okay, so it, it is irrelevant where the beneficiaries are. So in your situation, if you had um, a total of 5 million euros in both England and Italy, as you said, and only your son was your beneficiary, you'd have to declare your worldwide assets uh, in Italy and your son would pay nothing up to a million, like you said, and above that that 4%, and this is in Italy, of the total worldwide assets. If, unfortunately, you were still deemed to be domiciled in England, then the HMRC would get their pause on the tax on your worldwide assets as well. And that is uh, a lot, lot more than Italian taxes. There is a double taxation treaty between the UK and Italy, though. I do want to also consider that. So even if you are paying in two countries, you will get a credit in one of the countries. Your son would have a credit with the HMRC for the amount of taxes that you paid in Italy. Yeah, but there'd still be a huge liability yes. to Yeah, yeah. To UK I mean, it's tax. not... Yeah, exactly. So the point is that when you... Let's use the UK as an example. When you leave the UK and come and live in Italy, even if you've been here for a very long time, the whole idea of cutting your domicile is not as easy as going and living overseas. There are not other steps that you have to take, aren't there? Not, not at all. And I'll just, I've written down some considerations that the HMRC will take into account. The easiest way, I'll start with that, the easiest way is to get rid of all of your assets in England. You can't think, oh, I will move to Italy and automatically I'll be deemed as domicile. Putting it broadly, it's the intention. Did that person intend to move back to England? And um, they look at it, so much that even in a will, you have to be very careful about what you say about what you intend to happen to your body post-death, because there's been a case, a fairly recent case, whereby uh, an individual was living abroad, but had written in their will, I wish for to be cremated and I wish for my ashes to be brought back to England and to be scattered there. And the HMRC saw that as the intention for that person to go back to England. So Which this is, is also the famous story of, is it the actor Richard Burton for years and years ago when he died? I mean, he was born in Wales and made most of his money outside of the UK, died in Switzerland, I think, but he had left in his will the stipulation that he wanted to be buried in his home village in Wales, and that was enough for yeah. HMRC. I mean, this is going back many decades, I think, but um, but it's interesting to to hear that that 
essentially still applies. So yeah, well, there's, there's no yeah. hard and fast way of, of saying, okay, as of today, I'm no longer domiciled. It's no. you've got to take steps, put things in in motion so that it will protect you from that. But of course, it will all come down to what the situation is when you know when you die and and what the attitude of HMRC is to it, and obviously the desire that your heirs may have or not to fight any deliberation that they might be making. So the yes, so some considerations that the HMRC will take is how often you return to England, for example. Do you have a home in your country of domicile? So do you still have a home in England? And how does it compare in size and value to your property in Italy? Where is most of your family? Where are your social connections? Where have you made your wills? Do you have any business interests in England as well? Any involvement in clubs, societies, etc.? Where do you vote? How often do you visit England? And this is non-exhaustive. So they will look at it. And obviously, the more money that there is, so the Richard Burton case, like, yeah, they would have like found any kind of excuse, but it does set a precedent. The overarching message here is that proper planning is key to getting the outcome you desire. If any of this discussion has raised questions in your mind, please feel free to get in touch. Just Google Andrew Lawford Spectrum. I'd like to thank Jessica Zama for her contribution. You can find her details in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and goodbye for now.